Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 29 and 30 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. Libby, how's your week been? Not too bad. I had a cringe memory kind of come back to me. Okay. (laughs) And I have been living with the physical pain of that memory (laughs) this week. Well, now you have to share because I'm interested. So when my husband and I were newly married... We would make a lot of middle of the night gas station runs for like snacks and sodas and energy drinks. We went to the gas station and there's this off-brand candy called Snack Club. And while in line to check out, we spotted Snack Club on the little stands by the register. And we both just start like roasting the brand. We're like, oh man, this is like the brand that you get when you ask your parents for a snack. And they're like, oh, you can pick one thing as long as it's Snack Club. And then you're like, oh, never mind. I just won't get anything. Right. And we're just talking about how it's so not good compared to the name brand stuff that it's just not worth it. So it's like the bottom of the tier generic brand. Right. And we're just, we're roasting it. We were absolutely tearing into how gross it is. And we're like, who actually eats this stuff? It's so nasty. Oh, God. And the lady in front of us was kind of like, had her back to us. Not that we thought anything of it. She was in front of us checking out. And then we noticed that she had put a lot of snack club snacks. Oh, no. On the conveyor belt. And we're just sitting here roasting this brand. Meanwhile, she has loaded up on it. I mean, that's why she wouldn't make eye contact. That's why she definitely had turned away from us. At this point, poor woman was mortified. She probably thought we were making fun of her. And we didn't even know what to say. Like, I just kind of like tapped him and was like showing him like, oh crap, look what we did. And... We were so young, like we were still teenagers, and <laughs> we, we just kind of stood there with our mouths hanging open like, oh, we're mean. We messed up. That was bad. At least you felt bad about it. Oh, I did. And my, my lovely brain reminded me of that moment <laughs> this week, and I've, uh, I've been living with that, the memory on repeat over and over of how I made this poor woman feel. (laughs) That'll literally happen to me, but only when it's four in the morning and my husband's asleep and I have nobody to talk to about it. Well, I'm glad that that memory popped up so your brain would specifically remind you that you do have cringe moments in your life. You are not immune to them. It did that so that like, I don't forget that like, I'm not a good person. It's like anytime I start to feel like, you know, I'm decent. I'm decent in this world. My brain's like, ah, are you? You sure about that? It's like, hey, remember that one time you were not a nice person? Yeah, go ahead and uh, marinate with that for the rest of uh, the day. Have fun. What about you, Abby? This week, I feel like a chicken with my head cut off because my parents are coming to Italy, which is just such a weird sentence to say out loud. They're coming this week, which will be the end or the very beginning of September. And they're coming for my birthday, which is really excited. And I haven't seen them for almost a year and a half. And since then, I've lost 105 pounds. This is a whole new you. They're meeting a whole new daughter. Yeah. I'm a much happier person and doing photography again and live in Italy in a house that we have made at home. And it's just going to be very different. And my parents have not like left North America ever, Libby. Is your dad like a Taurus shirt dad? My dad is a Hawaiian shirt man going to on a Mexican vacation. When they go on vacation, they mean they go to Cabo and go sit in a resort. That's their definition of vacation. So I personally am just a little worried. So yeah, they've never been outside of North America. So Europe is going to be a whole new adventure for them. My mom said, hey, I packed um, like dresses and wedges. Is that okay? And I was like, <laughs> oh, so there's only cobblestone here. So I'd highly advise against the wedges part. And she goes, well, that's all I own. And I said, you better make a t- trip to the shoe store. 
because you're gonna fall on your butt here. Your mom doesn't own a pair of sneakers? I mean, not unless they're for like going on walks and she doesn't really go on walks, so no. So I told her to run to the store and make sure she gets at least one pair of flats that she can chuck in her purse for when Lord knows she falls. And then my, my poor dad, she's like, what is he supposed to wear? And I was like, I don't know. Well, he shouldn't wear his wedges either. No, dad needs to pack his heels or keep his heels back in the States, okay? But I don't know. We'll see. I'm just a little bit nervous because it's very different from the United States. And like a vacation over here is, again, a very different thing from a resort in Mexico. I'm not a resort hostess, funny enough, and they're staying in my home. So for 10 days. So I need all of our listeners to wish me luck because I'm a little nervous on what I'm supposed to do with my parents who I've not seen for a year and a half for 10 days. So I jam-packed everything. The whole schedule is like packed to a T. We're doing something literally every day. And I told my dad, like even just the basis of basics of what we're doing. And he goes, oh, we're going to be busy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. Yes, you are. Absolutely. You're coming to Italy. Yeah. You got to experience it. Like, here's the thing. We're not going anywhere. Does that make sense? We're staying in Northern Italy where I live. We're we're staying in the local area because we're like an hour from Venice. So I'm really excited. Don't you have like a cooking grandma, right? Oh my God, my Italian Nona. Yeah. So here's just a highlight of what we're going to do. We're going to go to Venice on their second to last day here. And we have a private boat tour and I'll, I will post photos on the, when this releases, I will post photos on our Instagram, but we're doing a private freaking boat tour on this cute little white boat um, for the whole afternoon and going to the three main glass blowing islands in Italy, which are like, I mean, so cool. And then we're doing a private winery tour, their last day here. My Italian Nona Teresa, she is one of my favorite humans here in Italy. And the day before my birthday, we are going to have her come to the house and she's going to teach my parents how to like cook uh, an Italian dish. She's going to pick which dish because my parents couldn't make the decision. So whatever Teresa decides to do. We have a cheese and wine tour. I want to go there. I want that. We're going to like the local towns. We have something called Sicile here, which is a, an Italian town that is known as Little Venice. And it's so cute. It's got the little canals with the, the gondolas. The boats. Oh my God. The boats. And it's a little town center. It's like 20 minutes from my house. And it's so cute. Don't mind my, my uncultured. <laughs> I live here and I'm uncultured. So it's fine. <laughs> There's so much. That's why I'm like, I have learned. These are my parents. They're very American. I'm sorry. Oh boy. Oh boy. So it's sono mi papa e mama. Mi dispace. I'm sorry. Sono molto americani. You've learned I'm sorry for this trip. No, I already know I'm sorry because I say it all the time. Sono multi. But you've got it prepared. It's locked and loaded. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no. Because I'm literally going to be like, I'm so sorry. They're very American. Molto americani. Very American. I'm sorry. So what are you going to do when your parents are like, what did you just say? Uh, I'm just going to say, oh, we're American. Do you, I asked them if they speak English. I've already got it down because I already know the servers are going to laugh. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh my gosh. That's perfect. It's a little difficult here because they either really love that you're American and you're here and enjoying the culture. Um, if you're a little bit out of the local area, but if you're in the local area, most of the nationals are not too happy that we're here. Our jets go off very loudly every single day and night and keep them awake. So <clears throat> anyway, so my parents are coming. I have to clean the entire house and top to bottom with a puppy who still has Giardia, by the way, came back. Great. It came back. It can reoccur. Twice. Twice, Libby. So she's on her third rounds of meds and... We hope it's going to go away. She could just ask for cuddles. She doesn't have to get sick to get... I'm like, you don't have to eat your own poop for us to get your attention. It's not yummy. And bless her heart. Oh my God. James. James has been getting up with her since we got her every single night, at least twice a night. And he was, he came to like the bedroom this morning, almost in tears. He goes, Abby, I let them out. I let them out three times last night and she still pooped in her kennel twice. She wanted a midnight snack, James. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that too far? It's only because the medicine, he calls it her smoothie. So no, it's not too far. But he, 
he's like, what, how can I help her? You, you can't, the medicine's hurting her tummy, but all right, Libby, the question of the week is what this week? Question of the week. What's the best prank you've ever played on someone? Yours is a lot more kind-hearted than mine is. So I'm going to let you go first. No, you can go first because we'll end with the nice thing because mine's not really a prank because I suck at them. <laughs> okay. I No, you go first. What is it? No, now you have to do it because you're apprehensive. I'm pretty sure I told you about it. My brother and I, my he's all my siblings are younger than me, but he was the older brother to my other siblings. He and I, we got in a lot of trouble as kids. You know, we had dark humor and... We didn't really hold back right. on anything. I'd like to say our best prank was when we renamed my sister Carol for a month. She didn't like it. Oh my god. I don't think she would. But we loved it. Well, now it's a cute nickname and she laughs it off, but she did not have fun. She was very upset. And that one just occurred because there was a commercial on TV and it was some guy yelling at his wife from the shower and he was like, Carol, and we just kind of looked at each other and we knew, and we didn't, we didn't say it, we didn't have to speak it out loud, and for the rest of the month, for a whole month, we just called our sister Carol, and she was not happy. And I wish I could say that that was the best one. It wasn't, I already know. It's a close ranking one. My great-grandfather passed away many years ago and at the funeral, it was very sad. And I, much like my siblings and my dad, don't handle grief and sadness very well. We cope with humor and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable and it's not appropriate. It isn't. And I'm sorry. I hope I hope our listeners don't hear this and think, yeah, she really she really is a bad person. Like this week is really putting the nails in the coffin. But so my grandfather passed my great grandfather passed away years ago and at the funeral uh, my sister and I were kind of in line for the, what's the line called when you kind of, everyone kind of goes up and like condolences. Yeah. Like they give their condolences and they kind of like hug the, the immediate family. So like my great grandmother and like tell them we're so sorry for your loss. We see another lady, older lady go up and she's like spending a lot of time talking to my great grandma and like hugging her. And we don't know who she is. We're not going to know everybody there. Did, we're the great grandchildren and we don't even live in the same state. We're not going to know everyone in their lives. For whatever reason, Samantha is very focused on this woman and she's like, who is that? And it just, I saw an opportunity and I took it, Abby. And I was like, oh, you didn't know? I was like, our great grandpa had a lover. That was his secret affair. Elizabeth. For most of their life. And my sister was like, what? And I was like, oh, great grandma knew. Like she knew. And she was like, and she showed up to the funeral. She came here. And I was like, yeah, like I, I can't believe it. I can't believe she's hugging her. And if you know my sister, you know, she's very passionate. And when she gets angry, there's no off button. So like, she's like bawling up her fist and she's ready. She's like, I'm, I'm about to go hit this woman. She needs to leave. Like she is furious. And my dad, I think my dad just starts laughing, which gave it away. And she was like, are you guys messing with me? And like, oh yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes, we are. But she was ready. She was ready to take this old lady out. Oh my God. To this day, I'm just still very proud. My, my favorite pranks that, that I've done or that me and my siblings have done growing up have always been not planned. It's always been off the cuff <laughs> fly by the seat of your pants and this was probably still my favorite that's horrible to me that's so sad <laughs> i would so do something like that with my siblings um but okay i say that i would do something like that with my siblings but i really suck at pranks <laughs> and i just can't do them i don't know i i always mess them up or laugh or giggle or something so this isn't really a prank. I would not classify this as a prank because it really did happen. So back in the States, I have a really good friend who also happened to be my Zumba instructor. And I met her through Zumba and then she became, I mean, she was a bridesmaid in my wedding. I absolutely adore this person. So <laughs> I had found out that week that we were we got orders to Italy and I hadn't told anyone, especially hadn't told her. So I asked if we could take a group picture because it was our first time back, all of us at Zumba for a while after the holidays. So I was like, let's take a picture all together. Preface, 
I have the camera rolling as a video, not a photo. So I pressed play on the video and I said, okay, count of three, say, Abby's moving to Italy. And Alex went, Abby's moving and starts sobbing. No. Sobbing. And then I I didn't know what to do because I was like, oh, and I was like, oh my God. For three years. Oh no, you added more to it. Oh my gosh. Because I had to tell her. And she, poor girl was so sad. And so it's not really a prank because it was true and it was really happening. But I don't think I should have told her that way. And I still feel bad for it. If it helps, that was still way nicer than anything I've ever done. So you're still a much better person than I am. I just, I, I don't have the the gene in me that can pull off a good prank. I wish I did. Props to you, my friend. (laughs) I just don't own it. I blame my dad. I hope he listens to this and I hope he knows that it's all his fault. I would say it's something to be somewhat proud of, but at the same time, it's more so something to be very ashamed of. I feel like Lucian would be proud of you. You know, that made me feel better. That made me feel way better. For that one. Do you not? Do you not? I think I think you'd be very proud. I do. I like that. I, I feel much better now. All right. Speaking of the podcast, my friend. That's what we're here for. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's uh let's start season two off. Let's get into it. Oh my god, we didn't even mention that. Oh yeah, hey guys. Welcome to season two. Hi, editing Libby. Can you put this at the beginning? Hi, welcome to season two. You know what? No, I, I want to leave this right here. This makes it even funnier. Oops. Season two. Uh, oopsie. We got an email from Spotify that was like, congratulations, your podcast hit 500 listens. And we were like, that's pretty cool because that's a lot of people listening. Right? <clears throat> Libby, what, two days later, three days later, you send me a message? We've hit 600 views? I don't even understand how we we jumped that many listens in such a short amount of time. What is happening? Thank you guys. We're honored. I don't know what's happening, but I'm very excited about it. And after this week, when they hear how awful I am of a person, they'll probably all leave, but thank you. All the viewers are gone. No, Libby, that's not going to happen. Most of our messages are always like kind things for Abby. And I'm just like, hi guys, I'm nice, I promise. We did have the one lovely listener that sent us a video from Target because I said I didn't have a Target and she sent me all the fall stuff. I've never been more excited in my entire life. So thank you, kind listener. That was literally made my whole week. I just need messages that are gonna say that they don't hate me. You know, like when you're like first dating someone you're like, do you really love me? You still like me, buddy? Do you like me? I still ask my husband that. I, I say when you're first dating, we've been married. Same. Almost 10 years now. And I still am like, you still love me, right? You want to be here. I'm not forcing you into this, right? I go up to James and I'm like, love me? You you love me? And he's like, yeah, we're married. And I was like, no, that's, <laughs> I need you to say that I you love me, not that we're married. I have imposter syndrome so bad i'm constantly like did i trick you into being with me do you 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 like me for real right like do you want to leave so hey listeners did i trick you into listening to us do you really like me no they love you oh okay chapter 29 first chapter of season two holy cannoli here we go chapter 29 Favor spun stories of caring for her dying aunt and inheriting her rather hefty fortune after her death Daddy Artron remained in his office, taking stock of the wealth Fair had been given, particularly the enormous jewels and gems. Favor noticed his will and his limp had improved. He had been given a tonic and a salve by a passing stranger which seemed to have magically healed him of the ailment. He now seemed happier, lighter, and worry-free. Elaine doted on their father, but Nesta was reserved. Nesta had very little to say, even when spoken to. Elaine gushed over her newly acquired rare tulips. Elaine allowed no one to touch her garden. She let servants carry over the heavy watering cans, but the care and tending was hers. Elaine was glowing, finally, in her element. The ease of life and absence of struggle suited her. The quiet peacefulness of a life unchallenged was a happy place for Elaine. Elaine spoke of traveling with her father to see other continents. It would conflict with the height of the socialite season, but Elaine wasn't worried. There would be other seasons to join in, and this most recent one had been strange. 
Their peers acted as if the Archerons had simply been ill the last eight years, rather than exiled from their elite world. At times, it made Elaine miss the small cottage. Despite the unforgiving cold and piercing starvation, the new home felt too big at times, and their father was always working, and Nesta was, well, she was just not the same these days. Nesta hadn't even finished the social season and wouldn't even give an answer as to why. Elaine tells Feyre that Nesta tried to go visit her, but the carriage had broken down halfway there, and she had to return home instead. Feyre was shocked, but Elaine told her she wouldn't have known this since she never got their letters. Elaine told Feyre that she too looked and sounded different these days. Feyre knew she was right. Elaine asked if she met anyone, and Feyre shrugs her off, saying that she had simply gotten good food and plenty of rest. Days were passing by, and Feyre felt a lingering shadow hanging over her. She spent her time with Elaine in the garden, admiring the life in her sister. Daddy Artron eventually gathered the total of Feyre's riches, and boy, were their riches. Feyre was incredibly wealthy. Feyre invested some of it into her father's business and set aside some of it into bags. Feyre took the bags and made her way to their old cottage. She walked and thought of Tamlin and how she went to bed longing to see him again. She had this nagging fear that he was in danger with the woman named Amarantha. She replayed his words, I love you, and could see his golden sun-kissed hair and alluring green eyes in her mind. Favor reached the cottage and saw the once cute garden now overrun with weeds, the ward-marked carvings still remaining, and one of the circular window panes now cracked. The small building stood dark and unbothered. The once terrifying forest now felt simple and ordinary. This place had once been a prison for Feyre, a place of resentment and hate. For Elaine, this had been a place of hope. It held so little good, but Elaine found it anyway. And with that, Feyre felt that Elaine had been the stronger one. Abby, the floor is yours. Do I have to clean the floor? Because I don't want to. I've been doing that all day. No, no, not now. Just before your parents get there. <sighs> Chapter 30. Feyre made her way through the village, and the villagers couldn't help but stare. Okay, hold on, side note. I wrote the first bit of this completely drunk on a glass of wine. Ooh. So forewarning. <laughs> red, this is a red wine-induced chapter. If it doesn't sound the best, I'm sorry. Red wine-induced chapter 30. I'm here for it. Feyre made her way through the village, and the villagers couldn't help but stare. A few stopped her to ask about her deceased aunt, but she politely declined the conversation. Once she reached the less fortunate part of her village, she was worn out from the constant attention. Thankfully, the poorer parts of her village didn't berate her with questions when she gave them bags full of silver and gold. Sure, they tried to refuse her offer, but the money was left with them regardless. On her way home, Feyre passed Thomas, Mandre, and his friends. They were gossiping about a house that had burned down in the village, killing the entire family inside not a week prior. Feyre wondered why Nesta had changed her mind about marrying him. She continued the journey back to her father's manor when she stumbled into yet another ghost from her past, Isaac, and he wasn't alone. She could only assume the girl with him was his wife from the laughter and love shared between them. He looked so happy. Favor was shocked to see the transformation that had happened in the few short months she was away. He turned from a boy into something much more. He, with the love for his new wife, had become a man. Favor noted that she felt nothing for him, except for gratitude. With a smile, she wished them well as they breezed past each other. Favor's ball was two days away. She wished she could have begged for her father to cancel it, but Elaine was so involved in the planning and was looking forward to it. Favor wasn't. She could only think about the suffering she would endure being around the people who had ignored them for years. Feyre filled her time that day digging up a new plot for Elaine's garden. She didn't know what she was to do with all the time in front of her, besides worry about the inevitable of Amarantha invading the human lands. She decided soon enough she would pull her paints out again, but not now. She looked down at her hands on the shovel to see them calloused, dirty, and scarred. Nesta came from behind her and noted that even if Feyre washed her hands, there would be no hiding them. She told Thera that if she wanted to fit in, she'd have to wear gloves and never take them off. Thera retorted that maybe she didn't want to fit in with Nesta's circle of friends. Nesta asked why she was home then. Thera replied with, it's my home, isn't it? No, Nesta said quickly. She told Farah that she thought her home was somewhere far away. Thera began to defend herself, trying to cut in that Aunt Ripley's house wasn't home, but Nesta cut her off. Nesta said she knew there wasn't an Aunt Ripley, and Feyre's breath leapt her chest. Nesta continued saying that Feyre's beast's glamour didn't work on her. She knew from day one that Feyre had been stolen. She had listened to her father and her sister talk about how lucky it was for Feyre to be taken to her aunt's house, and how a winter storm had kicked in their door. But Nesta knew none of that was the truth. She would look down at the claw marks on the table to remind herself she wasn't going insane. Feyre had never before known somebody who was immune to the magic of glamour, but knowing her sister was didn't fully surprise her. Then, Nesta revealed some 
something that shook Feyre to her core. Nesta had tried to go to Prentheon and find Feyre. She'd hired the mercenary that had previously bought the pelt from Feyre and took the two-day trek through the woods to find her. Feyre was beyond words knowing that the sister that showed such little love or warmth towards her was willing to weather the monsters of Prentheon for her. Feyre barely managed to ask the question that had been sitting on her mind for days. Why had Nesta changed her mind about Thomas? The answer was simple to Nesta. He wouldn't have gone to Prentheon to save Feyre. At that, Feyre took a long, hard look at the woman in front of her. Through the mask of hatred and a cold heart, Feyre saw her sister for who she was at her core, someone who cared fiercely about her family. Nesta asked Feyre to tell her everything that had happened, and so she did. Nesta's only reaction to the story was to ask Feyre if she would teach her how to paint. Teaching Nesta how to paint wasn't exactly a relaxing experience, but gave Feyre an out from being around the crowd that the ball had drawn to the house. As the two sisters made their way through the flower-adorned home, they noted just how much effort and detail Elaine had thrown into decorating. They began to walk up the stairs to their room, when below they witnessed Elaine and their father share a moment. He quietly noted how beautiful Elaine was, and she laid her head on his shoulder. They depicted the picture of ease and comfort. Nesta was visibly upset. She told Thera that there were days when all she wanted to do was walk up to her father and ask if he remembered how, for so long, he almost let them starve to death. Thera noted that Nesta had spent every copper that she'd gave her, but Nesta said that was different. She knew Thera could get more money, and if she couldn't, Nesta wanted to see if her father would finally step up to fight for their family, instead of sitting by the fire, carving stupid wooden figures. She knew she couldn't take care of the family the same way Thera could, and Nesta began to hate Thera for that. She hated her father more, though, and still did. Nesta knew her father knew that, even before the time at the cottage, because because Nesta blamed him for letting their mother die. At the time, he had the money to send off men for a cure, but he didn't. He let her die. Feyre tried to say that her father did grieve in love for their mother, but Nesta just repeated again that he let her die. Nesta said she knew Feyre would go to the end of the earth to fight for her high lord, and Feyre couldn't deny that. Nesta's not a completely heartless lady. That's actually so sweet. There's a lot that happened in these two chapters, but I also feel like it was so short. Does that make sense? Yes. Like physically, it was what? All of eight, eight pages between the two. But Bestie decided to cram a whole bunch of stuff into um, eight pages of a book. So. Well, and we got to know Elaine and Nesta a little more than we have throughout the entirety so far. Okay, right now, who do you like more? Elaine or Nesta? The first time I read this, Elaine. I remember reading this for the first time and immediately being just not interested in Nesta. Really? Reading it back more in detail yeah i i thought nesta was mean i thought that she was sno snotty snooty snotty either one and selfish and i thought elaine was sweet and kind but reading it back i see a lot of myself in nesta mm -hmm. with the suspicion and the coldness and not coldness that was so i know what you're saying i don't, I don't think i'm a cold person but yeah, like having the walls up and protecting herself and kind of not... Defensiveness. Yes. Yeah, not just allowing anybody in. So I, I feel like now that I'm walking into it, trying to be more open-minded as I read and trying to be more observant as I read, I, I think that Nesta is a very relatable character and it's very easy to just right away say that she's just a mean person. And heartless and cold and... Right. <laughs> but really, would we not all do what she's doing and kind of distance ourselves after everything we went through? We're not going to just jump back into this world that shunned us. That's what she's doing. She doesn't want to dive into so the social elite world. She doesn't want to get close with her father. I mean, she was wrong. She was hurt. She's not just going to turn a blind eye now that they have money. And I feel that. I completely agree. Elaine did jump back in. She didn't really care. She did. She is now happy and content in this world that she was raised in and got to return to. And I think she's able to put the blind eye to the past of what happened over the last couple years and fall right back in line. I think Elaine's more forgiving. I think Nesta, it's her turning, in her mind, it's her turning a blind eye. But Elaine is just not willing to hold on to those things. I don't think Elaine's just pretending it never happened. I think she just doesn't want to hold a grudge against it. So I don't, I think for both sisters, the way they view it and the way they handle it are, I mean, for all of them, it's very different. But I don't see Elaine just pretending it never happened. I see her more accepting it and moving on. Well, she even says in the book, she had come alive here and her joy was infectious. I marveled at it, actually. Those years of poverty hadn't stripped away the light from Elaine, perhaps buried it a bit, but she was generous, loving, and kind. A woman I found myself proud to know, to call a sister. See, okay. So Elaine, I will agree. 
I really did love Elaine in the first read through. Now reading it back, I feel she forgives too easily. Yes. And she was, like I said before, she was able to just jump right back into that life, even though they rejected her the minute that anything bad happened to them. So that rubs me the wrong way. But I never felt warmth towards Nesta. And now reading this back, especially in my chapter, when Feyre's like, I took a look at my sister and finally really looked at her. And yeah, on the outside, let's be frank, she's a bitch. But when it comes to showing her true colors, she doesn't care about anything more than her family. Right. And the fact that she, who would never have dared to go in the woods to find food or to fight for her family, let alone go to Perinthian, tried. She did. I thought that is such a show of her character. That was very surprising to me too, because we're given this image of Nesta only being concerned about her own self, her own safety. And she ventures out to go find Feyre. She goes to look for her and for who knows what reason at this point but she goes after her she actually does favor spends all that time in the spring court saying they didn't care they let me go they didn't fight for me and yet we find out nesta came for her she actually did and it's very easy to go surface level with these characters and think elaine's so kind and Nesta's just miserable to be around. She makes everything difficult. She fights. But Nesta, she reminds me of when you have a friend that at first you might not have liked, but then you get to know them. And even though they were kind of rough around the edges, they end up being one of those friends that you keep forever. Like they're amazing and they're loyal. And that's who I think of with Nesta. I think that she is very rough and jagged around the edges, but she's going to do whatever is needed to keep her loved ones safe and taken care of. I say whatever's needed. She didn't go out and hunt. I I think in her mind, she's doing what she needs to do. (sighs) I can't worth this. Help me, Abby. She is doing what she thinks is the best she can do for her family. Yeah? Yes. There we go. Well, okay. Hold up. We're going past like the really big elephant in the room, which is glamour didn't work on this woman. You know? A high lord's glamour didn't work on Nesta. What the hell? Nesta's a stone cold bitch. She's a boss. And Feyre even said like she's not surprised because of course... The woman who has an iron will. Yeah. She's not going to affect her. I have to say, I admire how easily joy comes for Elaine, how happy she can be in the worst of situations. But she was so easily fooled into this glamour that although she's a very happy person, she's a very ignorant, very easily tricked person. And I would rather be miserable and aware of the truth than in a completely other realm of reality. And you know what? I think it shows how much Nesta cares when on the seemingly outside, she couldn't give two shits about you. Yeah. She's going to be really cold. She's not going to fake warmth towards you. And I think that's why it hit Feyre so hard because it was like, oh, this woman who shows absolutely no warmth towards me was willing to risk her life. Oh, she does actually love me. And I think that's the first time that you see in this entire book that Nesta is more than a brick wall. I wonder if Tamlin knew that Nesta tried to come for her. Hmm, I don't know. Because he definitely encouraged Feyre to feel her feelings about her family. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, was that from a place of him having just seen how she was treated when he took her? Or did he know that Nesta came for her? Because he obviously kept an eye on them. He sent people to provide salves to cure the father and tonics. And he, he made it so there's ships. Coincidence. What? Such a coincidence. A stranger came up and gave him a salve. Right? How crazy. Come on, Elaine. His ships were suddenly found. Their wealth was recovered. Tamlet had a hand in all of these things. Obviously, he he arranged all of this, orchestrated all of this. So I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have been aware of these things, especially when he said that her family was being looked after and cared for and safe and would remain that way as long as she didn't leave. He was just never going to check back in. You're telling me he was going to do that without ever keeping tabs on them? I question that he didn't actually know that Nesta was coming back for her, that she was looking for her. I question if he encouraged Feyre to feel this hatred and this sadness and this hurt by her family 
when it no, it probably wasn't even warranted anymore. When Farrah just didn't even get the full picture. I mean, I feel like that's something Tim Tam would do. So I wouldn't be surprised by in the slightest. Tim Tam, control every aspect of your life, man. Yeah. We need to just have one long Tim Tam, the monster man who clo- <laughs> who disrespects every part of your life, man. Tim Tam, did I schedule you time to breathe today, man? I forget that not everybody calls him Tim Tam the Monster Man. So I'm part of the Sarah J. Mass Facebook page that talks about all of her books. And I called him Tim Tim the Monster Man and somebody went, excuse me? <laughs> I was like, oh, Oops. listen to the podcast, my friend. Tune in. But yeah, no, I think this is a very pivotal point in the book where I, I love when Feyre goes, isn't this my home? And Nesta's like, no. Not even close. Yeah. And it's true because Farrah doesn't feel like home there anymore. Spring courts are home. I don't like that. I don't. I No, that's gross. I didn't like that Daddy Archeron spent so much time holed up in his office focused on the wealth Farrah had acquired. Of course he did. Like your daughter has been gone for months. She just went through what you believe is the loss of a beloved family member. And you're just holed up counting the gems and the... (laughs) jewels and the money but okay you say that but for him for so long he did he wasn't able to provide for his kids Um, and like the fact that she comes back with this wealth i think he's trying to set it up for her wasn't able or wasn't motivated i didn't even see it as a negative thing he clearly could have made an effort and it wasn't till it was all handed right back to him that he tried again. He only mustered up the willpower to be a provider once he was given it right back. He didn't work for any of this. My husband and I had a fight about this. Oh. Listen, James and I, my husband, had a fight about this because I was telling him, because bless his heart, he just listened to the full first audiobook. Oh, okay. And I think he's working on the second one now. So we were talking about the books because I wanted to know his input. And I said, how do you feel about Thera's father? And he said, I understand where that, and I quote, poor man is coming from. Oh, no. And he has obviously got some mental illnesses that he's dealing with. And you can't be mad at him for the way he processed what was going on. Hey, Skylar, if I die and you abandon our daughter and you don't take up and and make sure that she is taken care of... I will haunt your ass. I, for, straight from hell. I'm not going to the other, I already know it. I'm going to be in hell. I'll be looking up to you from where I'm at and I'm going to be pissed. I will call in whatever favor. That is exactly what I told James. Uh-uh. I said, you're telling me even, okay, say you had PTSD. Obviously that man went through a lot. You're not going to fight for our children. Are you kidding me? And we had, Livia, I'm not, I'm not joking, a 30 minute conversation with him oh, on the way to work oh. about this. Oh no. And it was during his lunchtime and I was taking him back to work and we a hundred percent talked about it because I was so upset because I, I see it from the other way that this father just gave up, right? So it depends on who you're talking to on how they feel about this, as insane as that sounds to me. You know, I haven't mentioned this before, and it's not something I've known how to ever bring up. And Abby, you know it, that my brother passed away when he was 17. And my family... Lippy, what's funnier than 24? 25? Yes, he would be 25 now. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, mom and dad. Don't get mad at me. You know what? No, I sent them that meme meme on his birthday anyway this year, so it's okay. (laughs) He passed away when he was 17 and... I'm not laughing at that. It devastated our family. It absolutely... Of course. It rocked all of our worlds. And that's as lightly as I can put it. Gosh, I, I I don't know how to explain it other than it turned everything upside down and it ripped a hole through all of us. And I think anything, the only thing worse than losing a spouse or a parent is losing your child. And by all means, my parents probably could have just never gotten out of bed again. I, I wouldn't have blamed them if they were never able to function. And they didn't. They had other kids they did what they needed to do and they kept on and although emotionally everything was a big burning fire and falling apart around all of us you don't fold into yourself you don't stop there and crumble when there are people that are depending on you but that's what he did and so 
as someone who has been in the situation where they've lost their best friend, because you know, my brother and I, closer than I, I can ever even explain. And it's simply the worst thing that could have ever happened. And so I've been in those situations where I've lost someone that's closer to me than anyone else in the world. And so as someone who's been in that perspective, I can't sympathize with her father. I can't, I don't feel bad for him. I, I've been there. Not even in the slightest. And that's not what you do, right? That's just, it's not acceptable. When James said that, I was like, okay, I'm very glad you are at your work now so I can let you go. So I'm not going to get angry at you. I need to calm down. (laughs) But you're, you're wrong, first and foremost. Yeah, no, it hurt. Father is a mess of emotions is the nicest way to say it. I want someone... Just, I really do. I want someone to be able to give me a valid reason to defend this man. I would love for someone to be able to to have me take a step back and be like, yeah, that's fair. But I can't. Nothing to me excuses the way that he has acted or or carried himself. Book three. Well, we're on book one. We're on book one at this point. <laughs> Oh, do you want one now? Like in this current timeline? Because there's zero. <laughs> yes. At this point, at this point, we're not even there yet. I'm like, I got one. It's just not helpful at the moment. Do you have a favorite quote now? I do. I really liked Elaine's. It's in my chapter. She had a lot to say in my chapter. I like when she said... That's the most I think we've ever heard from that woman. Right? I think it's the most we ever will hear at this point, too. This is, this is a lot. She really delved in. She says, no, but it made me, made me wish for those years again. Even with the hunger and the cold, this house feels so big sometimes, and father is always busy. And Nesta, she looked over her shoulder to where my eldest sister stood by the gnarled mulberry tree, looking out over the flat expanse of our lands. So this I really appreciated because they finally have everything they all wanted back. They have the wealth, they have the comfort, they, she has the garden, she has the uh, amazing plants, the flowers. She has these things. And she misses the closeness. It's like very true and relatable to where as we go forward in our lives and things become easier, maybe financially, and we gain stability as we get older, it's so easy to look back and be like, I kind of miss when we didn't have all of these things and all we had was each other. Okay, but I also feel like you're romanticizing at that point, like the good old times. Oh, she is. I think she is, absolutely. But it's a feeling I can relate to. I, I've done that where I'm like, you know, sometimes I miss when my husband and I were newly married at 19, only able to afford ramen noodles. And we literally sat on the floor of our living room because we had no furniture. And I think back and I'm like, you know, it's kind of like, look how far we've come. I kind of miss those days. But in reality, I hated it. I hated sitting on the cold, hard floor and eating only ramen over and over again. Like I realistically, I don't think we'd ever want to go back to that. So I'm like, no. But now that we're not at that point in our lives, it's easy to say, I miss those things. And I I can relate to that. I can relate to that nostalgic feeling that Elaine's getting. I can relate to the feeling of romanticizing the past. I have a person in my past who I really enjoyed spending time with and don't speak to anymore. And sometimes I think, oh my God, I wish I could go back to that period of time and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know, I'm very much everything happens for a reason kind of person. So I don't think I'd want to go back. That's the Nesta in us. Yeah. That's the Nesta in us. The real, the reality sets in. It's so easy to look back and be like, wasn't that great after all? It wasn't though. No, not even a little bit. It just stood out because it was a relatable feeling. And I think we've all felt that at times. And we just got to pull out our inner Nestas and remind ourselves it wasn't that great. We're bad. It wasn't that great. We're bad. We are bad bees. All right, Abby, what was your quote? Shocking. I have two. Who would have thought? <laughs> I like this quote. It was at the very end of chapter 29. It said, she had looked at that cottage with hope. I had looked at it with nothing but hatred. And I knew which one of us had been stronger. That was very cute. I have to say that I don't know that I agree with favor there, though. I don't 
necessarily think that because you're trying to make lemonade out of lemons that always makes you a stronger person. Like you said, I think Elaine is just easier to forgive. And sometimes the strongest thing you can do is realize a bad situation for what it is. But that's just me. She was trying to... I'm not tearing her down. I just don't like that Feyre is thinking herself as the weaker person here for not being happy about that crappy, shitty situation. Yeah, she didn't need to be happy about the the shitty cottage. I will give her that. It didn't make her weak for not. (laughs) Okay, and then it's not a favorite quote, but it's just a favorite section. I like at the very end when Nestor was talking about her father and her mother, and she just kept saying he let her die because he did. He did. He had the means at the time to like, either have somebody try to go to Perinthia. Not even saying that that would have worked, but he had the means to try. He had the means to try to send somebody on a ship to try to find something to help Nesta's mom. And he did none of it. So I, I, not at all do I blame Nesta for the hatred she harbors towards her dad. No, I have to agree. I am right there with Nesta. I think that the fact that he didn't use any of his resources. And we know that as someone who called himself the Prince of Merchants, he had plenty. He didn't make an effort. He didn't try. And I would like to know more. I know that there's a lot of fan theories out there about their mother. And I'm hoping that maybe one day, because as of now, not, not really spoilers in any of the books, do we get a whole lot of information about Feyre's mom? We really don't get... No. Yeah, we don't know a whole lot about her. And I like one of the fan theories that suggests that their mom was pos- possibly Faye at one point and had broken a bargain. I Yeah, I've heard that theory. Yeah, and you know... Theory, theory, Faye theory, theory. That would be interesting to see where that would go. And I like the supporting information on why that could be a true theory. But I wonder, the only way I could forgive him for not trying to save her is if she used whatever Faye influence to make sure he wouldn't. And we don't know that. We don't... We'll never know that. As of now, like, that's such a stretch. That's such a... It's not even a confirmed thing. So as of now, she was a human that died... And he could have done something about it, and he just didn't. It's it's not the first time. And he had resources. He had money, and he had all of his ships and his crew, and he just didn't do anything. So it's not the first time that their father, that Daddy Archeron, has sat around and just given up right away at the first sign of struggle. He, I mean, he it started with his wife. Who knows if he did it before then? But then as soon as he, they lose the wealth... It continues and snowballs on where he does nothing. It's he's so anytime there's any sort of conflict in his life, instead of fighting, he just gives up. Oh, he does. It's like the fl- and waits for somebody else to fix it. There's the whole what is it the the trauma response where it's like fight, flight, or freeze. He freezes. He does nothing in his life, and he stays there. He just stays frozen. And you can't tell me this man didn't ever think maybe I should do something. Maybe I should try harder. Maybe, come on, my guy, you're sitting around doing nothing, carving friggin' little figurines. Bears and crap. (laughs) It doesn't seem like he's making amends for any of that. He still seems emotionally, not unavailable, but like in La La Land. He's real available to Elaine. Yeah, well, Elaine's not pushing him to be a better person and to make up for the things he did. Elaine's not making him challenge himself and, you know, work harder, be better. She's not putting him in those situations. Elaine's just letting him be who he wants to be. She's forgiving and moving on and not addressing any of the problems, which I don't, I don't find healthy. Pretending that there's no problem does not mean that there's no problem. It doesn't make it go away. It seems to be her new favorite hobby. It really is. She really enjoys looking over... The other shoulder. Okay, guys. So it's time for Star of the Week. And I'm not saying that I'm fangirling this week because that would not be very professional podcaster of me. I'm kind of fangirling because let me preface this. Our Star of the Week this week is somebody that I see as my Feyre. And that's very important because I have this thing called aphantasia or aphantasia, which is where I can't, like when I'm reading, I can't visualize a movie in my head. I can't see anything going on in my head when I close my eyes. So I have not been able to like see what Feyre looks like or dream up or imagine what Feyre looks like because I have that 
aphantasia disorder. So when Ashley, our star of the week, Ashley Figlow, started doing TikToks and cosplaying as Feyre, I was like, oh my God, that's her. And so I have followed her on TikTok. I mean, God, for months at this point, it's been quite a while. And Lady said we should reach out and she got back to us and she's our star of the week this week. So I am so excited. I want you guys to go look at her and tell me she's not the absolute perfect Feyre because in my head she is. So both her Instagram and her TikTok are Ashley Figlow at Ashley Figlow. So A-S-H-L-E-Y-F-I-G-L-O-W. And on TikTok, the girl is popular. She's got over a million likes and almost 40,000 followers. So just go look at her TikTok and tell me she is not Feyre because I can't get over it. She gives a little about her section that I want to read for you real quick. She says, hey, I'm Ashley. I found the world of Akatar in a time of my life when I was in a very dark place, when I needed an escape, a distraction from the real world. What I found was a mirror. Not only did I immediately relate to Feyre based on her physical appearance, but I saw myself in her heart, her fight, and her fears. The book talk community has been such a welcoming place for me to live out my dreams of portraying this incredible character. And I will forever be grateful to everyone who has supported me in this journey. I love you all. So again, go take a look. We'll post her on our Instagram as we always do for our stars of the week. Again, not fangirling. I'm being a very professional podcaster here. She's just really cool. All right, guys, go take a look. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you guys. Season two is ready for some DMs. We're ready to talk to you all. So send us an email at a court of thorns and... Ro- That's the book title, my friend. That's, don't do that. Don't send us an email there, guys. Don't do it. That's We're not going to answer. That was not us. <laughs> that will not come to us. It's been a long break. <laughs> Oops. Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcast at gmail.com. Tell us everything. How you found the series, your favorite characters, questions you have for us. Just anything. You could tell us what color you painted your nails. If you're going to dye your hair. Ooh, if you have suggestions for how we should like get our hair dyed, you know, I'm, I'm into it. Ooh, I, I would love if anyone wants to send in their book-ish tats. I want some inspiration, please. Ooh, yes. Please do. So we're waiting. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. Taking all my feelings, you in my head, you in my heart. I'm never in the dark. Skylar in pajama pants. That's our question of the week. Hi, Skylar. Bye, Skylar.